to have Colin Walker back again on Scouting Radio. Colin is probably one of our most difficult uh, reporters to tie down because he travels the globe so much. Colin, uh, what have you been up to since we last talked? Well, Justin, I was very lucky to be away in India, wall-to-wall sunshine every day, when the whole of the UK was enjoying its worst winter snows for a long, long time. So we were away for about uh, just over three weeks. Uh, we uh, went to Kerala, which is on the uh, western side of India, just, just above Sri Lanka. Uh, and uh, it was unique as a holiday, really, because I didn't encounter a single scout. Wow. <laughs> well, that's not quite true. I, I talked to, to people who were in the scout movement, um, but I didn't encounter a scout in scout uniform. I'd say I, Fran was I, absolutely I delighted. I found the headquarters of, of scouting in Corella was in the town that, unfortunately, I didn't visit. But it was great, great shame. However, mm. however, when we came back from India, I had a week at home, and then I went to the Isle of Wight, where I've never been before. Uh, You've never been to the Isle of Wight? I don't believe it. Well, you can't go travelling the world and go to the Isle of Wight as well, it seems. Okay. <laughs> So I went to the Isle of Wight at the invitation of the first Newport Home Guard. Mm-hmm. Old Guard, Old Guard, not Home Guard. I'm getting confused with my Second World War book. No, the first Newport. Newport is the capital of the Isle of Wight. Yes. I was there at the invitation of the first Newport Old Guard scout troop. Now, when I tell you what we were celebrating, I want you to try and think hard about the importance of these words. Mm. They were celebrating their 110th anniversary. Which means they must, they have to be one of the first scout groups. Which year would they have started in? 1908. What year is it now, Justin? 2018. So, 110th, yeah, they would have to have started in 1908. Well, actual fact, they started in 1907. All right. Which makes them very, which makes them unique. I nearly said very unique. Can't be very unique. They, they were started by a person who worked in the Isle of Wight Territory, who was a member of the Isle of Wight Territorial Army, who started a scout group on the Isle of Wight called, um, what did he call it, in 1907? Um, it got the word young in it mm. um, and the word scouts. New, new, it, Vectis. Vectis is the Latin word for the Isle of Wight, and he called his scout troop the Vectis Juvenile Scouts in 1907, right. using Baden Powell's uh, Aids to Scouting, which he wrote in the year 1900 for soldiers. Mm. Using that as a guide, he started a scout group. How he hit on the word scouts, I don't know. But that was in 1907, predating Scouting for Boys. Now, when Scouting for Boys got to be written in January 1908, he read it and immediately transferred the group over to being a Baden-Powell Scout troop. But that is one of the few groups in in the world mm-hmm. who can really say that their scouting started um, in 1907. 
Now, while you were there, did you get to meet up with Malcolm Cox? Uh, no, I, I don't remember the name. Now, if you're listening to this and I did, Malcolm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I hope you did, because Malcolm is our main guy for the Isle of, Isle of Wight. And um, he looks after the media team on, on the island as well. So. That's right. So hopefully you met him. Yes. Uh, well, the, the, my uh, evening with them was well publicised. Mm-hmm. And lots of uh, people came, um, including some some people that uh, I have never met but have known for a long time. Right. So that was great. Uh, and then later on in, in the week, because we were there for a week, later on in the week I gave a, ta- a, a, a talk on scouting to um, a a group, a professional group of businessmen, retired businessmen called Probus. I don't know if you've ever heard of Probus. Okay. Uh, and there were uh, 40, 40 members of this club. Uh, two things I found amazing. One is that all 40 of them were there. <laughs> there no apologies. But right. the amazing thing was I began the talk, as I always begin my talks when talking to non-scouting uh, groups, by asking them to put one hand up um, if there'd ever been a scout cub, etc., and and the other hand up if they'd got children or grandchildren who were scouts. I think this is the first non-scout group I've ever spoken to where everybody put the hand up. Way, wow, that's fantastic. Yes. So so they're all on site. So you ask me what I've been doing. Um, apart from that, I've got a book that I'm busy, busy, busy writing at the minute, which is way overdue because I did want it to be published last year. But you recall that I wrote a book in 1914 mm-hmm. called Scouts at War, Volume 1, The Great War. Mm-hmm. Well, that had to be brought out in 2014, 100th anniversary. Um, so we don't have quite the same hurry to produce a, a book on the Second World War because that began in 1939. So that means I've got till 2039, isn't it? I hope you're still it's still going up to 2039. Well, I thought I'd better get a move on. So I did promise some people that it would be ready for the last Gilwell reunion. But it certainly will be ready for this one. So on another occasion, Justin, we can go into some of the really, really amazing things that um, I've discovered, which I tend to uh, do when I get into research mode that I've never heard of before, which I think are astounding. But we can talk about those on another time. Absolutely. Now, the purpose of this show, Colin, is we're doing a new series called Behind the Necker. And what we're trying to demonstrate to listeners is we are all volunteers. Well, ninety-nine point nine nine percent of us are all volunteers in the in the scout movement, and so we're going through different people, and we're starting off with our presenters and reporters by giving a little background of their life in scouting, what career they ended up going into, and um, their fa- favourite moments. So I'm going to start off, Colin, by asking. Have we got a week? <laughs> this could take long, listeners. Um, so we're going to start off, Colin, by asking you, when, what age were you when you joined scouting? Right. Well, I was, I was born in 1945. So if I tell you that I joined scouting in 1952, that should ring something of an alarm bell because the official, there were no beavers. Mm-hmm. So you, most people started their their introduction to scouting in wolf cubs, and the official age for joining wolf cubs is was eight. Eight, yes. And I joined when I was seven. Oh, <laughs> I, I lived in a village, uh, and uh, there weren't many, too many other children in this village, so the the 
local cup pack took pity on me and allowed me to join. And I stayed with the cup pack for four years uh, and ended up as as the senior sixer, which meant I had three bands on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> and our neckerchief, mm-hmm. our neckerchief of the 45th Socop Peterborough was green and yellow. And it was explained to me at that very young age that those were scouting colours. So it was a very special neckerchief. So one half of the neckerchief, the left-hand side was green and the right-hand side was yellow. And there was a a divide down the middle of the back of the necker. Mm -hmm. And that was my first neckerchief. Well, that was your first. Um, Now, I I know a a bit of background there, listeners, that um, you then became a teacher uh, in your career. Oh, that was a, <laughs> this is a bit of a jump. Okay, well, we go, we go, we'll, we'll go into your scout life. We'll go into your scout life first. What, yeah. if, okay. Well, uh, yeah, I, I did become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I went away to teacher training college when I was 18, having been a member of the, of the uh, a school scout troop, Deacon School, 10th Soak of Peterborough. Mm-hmm. And its neckerchief was navy blue, just navy blue. Uh, and it was an extremely good scout troop. In fact, um, it used to win all the district competitions, which I'm sure annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> but also in those days, there was a scouting commissioner for school scout troops, and it was his job to inspect school scout troops up and down the country. Now, of course, this would include the big public schools. Right. And ours wasn't a big public school. It was it was a grammar school. Mm-hmm. Um, but our school troop used to regularly come in the top three of the best scout troops in the land. We're very proud of that. Wow. So when I was 19, I went to teach training college and I expected uh, that when I came back in three years time, I would be able to join a rover crew. Mm. But in 1968, they did away with us. The advanced party report disbanded rovers and and then... In their place, they made a new section of the scout movement called Venture Scouts. So I was very disappointed that I couldn't become a rover, a, a rover scout, something I've remedied since, that we can talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. So when I came back to my hometown after three years at teacher training college, I became a Venture Scout ye- leader in the year that Venture Scouting started with Harris Street Baptist Venture Scout Unit that had a pale blue neckerchief. Wow, you've gone in, you've gone from green to dark blue to light blue. Okay, so that was great. That we had some great times in venture scouting. It was a new, it was a new dimension in in scouting, um, and it, it it worked a little bit like rover scouting in that everybody was expected to uh, to contribute to the running of it. The the leader that was me was meant to lead from from the back. That the the venture scout unit would have a uh, executive and the executive would decide on the program and the leader me was there just to see that it was honest decent and legal which was sometimes a bit of a bit of a struggle <laughs> <laughs> but we did enjoy that that was great we went on expeditions we went to corsica i recall uh, and we did a lot of mountain climbing a lot of hill walking savaka swimming not just on that expedition but that's what we did uh, and uh, i was there in peterborough um, with harry street baptist uh, venture scout unit for two years mm-hmm. so and then we moved from there to to my second teacher job because i had 
fantastic job when I came back from uh, from City Training College. But my second job then was in Sheffield. And in Sheffield, um, I started uh, another Venture Scout unit. So that was called the Drumfield. Now, isn't this an admission? To, isn't this an admission, Justin? I can't remember the colours of the Drumfield. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, out of all those, between Wolf Cubs, Scouts, Ventures, teacher training, you must have one camp that really resonates in your mind, Colin. And if, if I, you now you've been all over, you've been to Brownsea Island on the centenary year. That's one of your fondest memories, I, I know. But if I was to say, name the top three moments in your scouting career where or life that you've had that you could say were absolutely amazing camps or campfires or jamborees, what would it be? Well, the number one, without any hesitation, in a heartbeat, I could tell you straight away, was uh, in August 1957 at Sutton Coalfield. Mm -hmm. That was the World Jamboree, the Centennial World Jamboree. Now, I can't claim to have been a camper because I would have been too young. I was only 1957. I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. But School Scout Troop was camped in Dugdale, Derbyshire, as it happened, only, only, only a mile away from the Isaac Walton Hotel where baden Powell wrote part of Scouting for Boys. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> right. However, as I told you, the Scout, Deacon School Scout Troop was an exceptional scout troop, and we had no less than five of our senior scouts were at the World Jamboree as members of the contingent. And our scout master, who was a great man called Wolf Saul, he decided that he was going to take us to the World Jamboree for the day. So we got on board a bus and off we went to the World Jamboree. And I can remember he said to us as we got out of the bus door, he said, now lads, he said, You'll be swapping badges at the World Jamboree, and I want you to know that the Soak of Peterborough badge is worth at least two of everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> Which Brilliant. proved out to be true. So we went to visit our five senior scouts, but that wasn't the point. The point was that up until that time, um, I had seen St. George's Day Parade. Mm. So I knew in our little town of Peterborough that had 60,000 people, there were a lot of people quite a lot of people on St. George's Day. Um, so scouting wasn't just something that happened in the scout room. I knew it was much, much wider than that. But the World Jamboree blew my socks off. There were, it, it's very hard to put into word, words. You couldn't walk 50 yards without seeing a troop moving down one of the roads. And, and if there was Scottish, they'd be playing the bagpipes. If there were Fijian, they'd be in sore-edged sore skirts and they'd be dancing their way along. Uh, and it was just unbelievable. But I can't begin to tell you the impact that that had on us. And we were extremely lucky because when we went back to our scout camp in Dovedale, the Jamboree finished at Sutton Coalfield, but the Rover Scouts went on a tour of Britain. And unbelievably, they came and parked themselves for an overnight camp in the next field to the field that we were camping in at Dovedale. Fantastic. And we were invited to their campfire. So I think there must have been about 200 rovers and our scout troop. And they were from all over the world speaking in myriads of tongues. 
But the big thing to me is I was 12 years old. Wow. Now, when you were 12 years yeah. old and you're looking up at somebody who's six foot tall, they're a man, aren't they? Yes, yeah. But they weren't men. They were rovers. Well, some of them would have been because rover age was, was uh, 17 to 27 then. Mm-hmm. So 27 is definitely a man. But I thought that scouting was for boys. Right, yes. Here, I'm seeing, seeing myriads of young men. Yeah. And we had this campfire, camp, camp song, fire songs from all over the world, where I felt totally and utterly part of what was going on. Yes. And that's, now, that's the method of scouting, really, Colin. In the jargon word, that was formative. Mm-hmm. That made me the person I am today. I realised I was part of this inclusive, huge, worldwide family called Scouting, mm-hmm. which I couldn't get enough of then, and I can't get enough of now. So... Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great answer to that question. Now, we're going to go into your school days a bit, because your school days, even as a teacher, you mentioned that there's you went from... Uh, being a scout, being a venture, to being a leader. So even as a leader capacity, would you say you have a memory of an amazing camp that you took that group on? Well, uh, I mentioned the fact that we went to Corsica. Yes. Uh, That that was something of an expedition. That would be in about, what would that be, 1967-ish. Okay. And we had two minibuses. Buses, one of which belonged to the scout leader and the other one which was hired, which I drove. And we had this absolutely wonderful camp in Corsica, which is a very exciting mountainous country with beautiful beaches. So we did some aqua swimming and we did some some mountaineering. We had a, a fantastic time until one day before the end of the camp, we were traveling along a very rocky mountain road on the cliff edge going around the coastline. Oh God. When a car ca- came in the other direction and clouted the minibus that I was driving. Good God. You were lucky. You were lucky. Well, we were lucky, but unfortunately, the minibus was uh, uh, not not drivable. So the other, the other minibus with the scout leader, that went off back to England, but it couldn't take my crew from my minibus, so we had to make our way back uh, to England through the, through the whole of France, uh, by our own initiative. With now, extra parties in the we, first minute. We were properly organised. We yeah. had got some a special arrangement with the RAC that in the event of a motoring accident, we could use these vouchers that they have given us a booklet of, and these vouchers would pay for everything because that's what we were insured for. Okay. So I, I went to the, the Gardi Nord, I think it was, in Marseille, probably the Gardi no, it probably wasn't the gardener. But anyway, it's main station in Marseille, and I presented these vouchers, and I said, we want to go uh, to, to, to Calais. And they said, well, you'll need to pay. I said, but these are our RAC vouchers. And they said, what is the RAC? <laughs> so they wouldn't honour them. Well, so I'd, I'd got about, what, eight people in the Venture Scout unit who travelled on my bus, and I'd got to get them back to to Great Britain. Yes, yeah. Well, what would you do? <laughs> we, went still got on, we went and got on the train. Okay. <laughs> and when the ticket inspector came out, we hid. 
it's, it we'll sounds look. like the explorer belt now. <laughs> <laughs> so any, anyway, because the long story short, we did get back to England, uh, and it was one heck of an adventure. So, so that was fantastic. But our listeners are going to ask, how many days did it take you to get back to England on that type of route? Well, there was the, the stay, the train that left uh, to go to Calais um, was most of the day. Uh, but it, for some reason, whether it was a strike or what, I don't remember. It, we couldn't go to Calais. We had to go to the next Channel Port. And so, when we got to the Channel Port, it's now quite late in the evening. Uh, and I thought, well. We haven't we haven't got tickets for the boat either because oh, <laughs> right. they they were with, they were with the other group who was in the minibus because there was it was block booking mm. so I can remember going up the gangplank and saying uh, can I speak to the purser and expect expecting to explain to him our sob story and throw ourselves on his mercy uh, and he said uh, he, he came inside big big man and he said oh he said you scouts don't worry come on. <laughs> I just let you on. End of the problem. <laughs> you know, and you, what's funny, listeners, is this isn't the first type of story you will hear in the scouting world of people having problems like that and flashing their necker and going, "Come on, help us out," and uh, and things like that happening. So yes, yes, indeed. You've you've had a whole family, Colin, through scouting and. In different ways between your son yeah. your, and your grandson being involved yeah. in scouting. Yeah, well, one of the one of the neckers that I was uh, going to talk about was the world jamboree necker. Mm. Not a world jamboree that I was at, but that my son was at in in 1999. Okay, he was a part of the British contingent that went to the world jamboree in Chile. Wow. Okay. Now that was an exciting jamboree to go to because the political leader at the time in Chile was a man called General Pinochet. That's right. Who who the British government and a lot of other people around the world had got great difficulties with. And Mrs. Thatcher had locked him up under house arrest in Britain okay. when he'd come to visit. That's right, okay. So so the the leader of, of Chile is locked up under house arrest in Britain and we're gonna send a contingent to a world jamboree in Chile. Oh. Including my son. Now, at the time, I I was the chairman of Central Yorkshire Scout County. Okay. So nominally, I suppose, very concerned with the whole of the contingent from from Central Yorkshire going to Chile, not not just my son. Uh, and the Scout Association said, "Well, uh, th this presents a great difficulty. We're taking advice from from the Foreign Office, and uh, we haven't made the decision, and we'll let you know." And the contingent was due to travel on Boxing Day, 1999. Uh, and I think it was on Christmas Eve they decided that the contingent would go. Right. So, so Joe went and he got his, his necker. Now, just out of interest, it wasn't until I was visiting scouting friends in New Zealand that one of them took me to visit his local campsite. And he proudly explained that if, the 1999 World Jamboree had to be cancelled. Then an alternative had been arranged, and it was on this very campsite that we were visiting in New Zealand, which wow. nobody knew at the time. Right. <laughs> so like, they did have a contingency plan. Had a contingency plan for the contingent, yes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Now, Colin, this is, this is going to be the most difficult question that we're, I'm going to ask you to conclude this and wrap it up a bit. If you were to name a song that describes your scouting life, what would it be and why? Well, it's got to be Gingangooly, gooly, 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 what's your Gingangoo? Okay. When I used to hear this as a cook, people said, the campfire leader would say, now, lads, he said, this, this is a very important scouting song because it contains words from every language in the world. Yes, yes. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it's just one heck of a hilarious, muddly romp. Now, that that is a good illustration of my scouting career. <laughs> Because because there's so many stories, listeners, and as you know, if you're a regular listener to Scouting Radio, you'll learn that Colin has had many, many stories to tell. He's been all over the globe. He's a scout historian. He probably knows scouting inside out. He has Baden Powell's diaries, and he has his necker there on hand to show us all. And that is your rover necker. There it is. Now, I said to you that in when I came out of teacher training college, rovers had been abolished. My ambition to be a rover was frustrated, uh, and rovers were abolished in, in the advanced party report of um, 1978. Um, so how come I'm holding up a, a rover neckerchief and I'm a uh, very keen rover scout? Well, it's because uh, when I came to live at my present address, I was made aware of a chat within our scout um, county who was a rover whereas I never was he he had been enrolled as a rover uh, and he invited me to join a rover crew that he was starting now I have to explain that everybody in this rover crew which is the Thane rover crew everybody in this rover crew is a paid up member of the scout association with an active role in scouting mm -hmm. but we choose to carry on the traditions of rovering which as you know the motto is service. Yes. And so we give a lot of service within our scout district, within the scout county and at Gilwell Park. Uh, and um, we're all very proud to be members of the Scout Association, but we continue the traditions of rovering, which Baden-Powell uh, started in 1929. And uh, we must remind our listeners that only recently you went to Kandersteig. Yes. Yes, Kandersteg in Switzerland for the first time, and that was really, really good because uh, I'd met somebody at Gilwell Park who who uh, was a rover, and there he was at Kandersteg, and he was he was a staffer at Kandersteg, so he was able to show us around. And that is, I would say, Brownsea Island is an obvious must. Everybody must go to Brownsea Island, mm -hmm. but Kandersteg has got the international. Uh, dimension of scouting. Gilwell Park would be another obvious place to go, but those three places are perhaps uh, the, the most special scouting places that I've been in my in my career. Now, will you attend the World Jamboree, Colin, in 2019? Uh, it, it, it's not looking so. Um, there was some talk that I was going to be um, invited to take part as an historian, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, these ways I haven't heard anything about it much, but I shall be there in September.